One of the most interesting and informative television series produced in recent years is the History Channel's The Universe. It's now in its sixth season. The program explores some of the recent discoveries in astronomy and astrophysics, uh, some of which are mind-boggling. Uh, our sun and solar system, as we all learned in primary school, is in the Milky Way galaxy, which is about 100,000 light years across. According to the most recent research, our sun and solar system uh, is about halfway out from the galactic center on one of the spiraling arms of our galaxy. We're moving at very high speed around the galactic center, but because of the vast distances involved, uh, the estimates are that it takes or would take about 225 million years to make a complete revolution. While our system is rotating in the galaxy, uh, of course, Earth is also orbiting the sun. Uh, we travel at a very high speed around the sun at a velocity of about 67,000 miles per hour, or 100,000 kilometers per hour. At 93 million miles from the sun, uh, it takes us about 365 days, or one year, to make a complete revolution. Uh, if we begin studying the size of the sun and the energy it produces, the facts are equally impressive. Uh, the interior of the sun, by volume, could contain over one million Earths. There at this moment, uh, thermonuclear explosions that are taking place uh, within the sun and on its surface that would instantly incinerate the earth. Uh, but we're nevertheless so perfectly poised in space that all of life on earth depends on its energy. Now, of course, the Bible teaches that God, uh, the God that's revealed in its pages, is the creator and sustainer of all creation. And if we believe that, uh, and as we discover more about the sciences, we're led to several uh, inevitable, inescapable conclusions, among which are that God... Uh, among other things, is an astonishing mathematician. Uh, God is a physicist. He is an architect, an engineer. He's an artist. And he possesses a power that's beyond our comprehension. Uh, this morning and all around the world, uh, millions of Christians are commemorating uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, as Christians, uh, we believe that God, the creator, the architect, the sustainer of the universe, came among us. Uh, he came among us in the person of Jesus to more clearly reveal his nature uh, to us, his personality to us. He came among us to give us insight into the purpose of our life. Uh, he came among us to disarm some evil, invisible authorities that had gained great power on the earth, 
according to the New Testament. And in one of the great mysteries of our faith, he came among us to die. Uh, and through that death, to secure for us an eternal bond and relationship with himself, eternal life that will stretch into the ages to come. And finally, he came among us to prove his teaching about himself by returning to life from death. He did all of this, the Bible teaches, because prominent among his many other qualities, God is a lover. We read, as we read a few minutes ago in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, as the Greek text states, Theos st agape, or God is love. Now, this is not so easy to understand uh, any more than some of the deeper aspects of science are easy to understand. Um, D.A. Carson, one of the world's more respected New Testament scholars, has written a very interesting book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. And in the book, he makes these uh, remarks. He says, if people believe in God at all today, the overwhelming majority hold that God, however he, she, or it may be understood, is a loving being. This widely believed idea about the love of God, however, uh, is rarely understood within a balanced biblical portrait of him. The Bible's description of the high, majestic, awesome God and his relationship with human beings has been distorted. We emphasize God's feelings. Uh, he is more likely to feel uh, than to speak authoritatively or act decisively. God in modern culture, Carson says, has been cleansed of anything uncomfortable or unsettling. The result is a widespread inability to perceive him as the Bible actually describes him. Now, part of the problem, no doubt, is language. Uh, we use, in English, uh, the word love to express a very wide range of meanings. Uh, we, we use it, I use it. Probably most of you use it to say, uh, I love Chinese food, you know, or I love your new dress. Or if guys are fooling with each other, they may throw their arms around each other and say, I love you, man. But we also use it uh, not in jest. We will sometimes use it in very intimate and personal moments uh, when we are communicating to our spouse uh, the feelings and the commitment that we have made to them over a lifespan, or certainly to our kids. And um, it may be that God chose to record his message, his teaching to us in the New Testament in Greek, is because Greek can be a very precise language at times. And in Greek, as you may know, there are four separate words uh, with different shades of meaning. Uh, to express the idea of, God, of, of love. Uh, very briefly, one word is storge. It's a word to describe nurturing care and affection. Uh, this, this is the, the, the word used to describe the feelings that a mother 
would experience the nurturing affection as she would be nursing an infant, uh, her infant child. It's also sometimes used in Greek literature to uh, describe animals' care for one another. Uh, can be used to describe a, a mother uh, dog's uh, nurturing and providing grooming and providing milk uh, for her puppies. Second word is eros. It's a term to that we uh, normally when we talk about people being in love, uh, we refer to we're, we're meaning what Greek refers to as eros. Um, the term erotic is derived from this word, uh, but eros is, is not a purely sexual uh, meaning. Uh, it's much deeper than simply experiencing a sexual instinct. It is desiring a specific purpose in their totality, uh, with our totality. And as we enter into that kind of bonding relationship emotionally and all the other dimensions of it, then we experience what the language calls eros. A third word is phileo, and this is the word used to describe uh, the bond that can exist between uh, brothers and sisters or very close and committed friends. Uh, It develops in compatible personality types uh, and also from shared experience. Uh, combat veterans, when they describe their connection to each other who have shared some desperate moments on a battlefield, will describe the enduring bond that exists between them. And they're talking about phileo. But the word the New Testament normally uses to describe God is agape or agapain in the older Greek New Testament. It's unlike any other quality in the universe, uh, and it emerges from within God's character. Uh, 1 John, as we read in verse 316, we know the Apostle John says what real love is, what agape is, because Christ gave his life for us. Paul uses... um, This word, the very same word in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 and following, he says, God demonstrates his own agape, uh, his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died uh, for us. And he goes on to say, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more then, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Paul here is talking about a type of love that exists initially in God alone and that focuses itself upon the object of its love and goes to extraordinary lengths for the well-being of that object, of that person. And he says that even when we could be in a state of enmity, we can be an enemy of God, but if he gets his sights upon us, the agape within his great uh, self-sufficiency will move toward us to reveal himself to us and to bond us into a relationship with himself through what Christ has accomplished. And so Paul, as he's 
coming to the conclusion of this line of his reasoning in the letter to the Romans, he says, so we exult in God. He has seen this. He has experienced this. And it has produced within him a, a feeling of exalting that this is just incredible news that the Almighty, the Creator and Sustainer, embodies this quality and that he has chosen to express it on behalf of his people. And the origin of this kind of love, as we said, is in God alone. Uh, we have mentioned that Christian, the study of Christian theology is, in one sense, like assembling a jigsaw puzzle. We take information from various parts of the Scripture, and then we begin assembling it, try to assemble it into a coherent whole and a coherent pattern. And among the fascinating insights we get from the Bible about God is that he is utterly self-sufficient in his Trinitarian magnificence. Uh, God is one essence, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the New Testament describes him, among whom there is an inexpressible love. God is a relationship, according to the teaching of the Bible. And in that astonishing self-sufficiency and in that relationship, he, he has no need of you and me. Uh, he is not in a position of any kind of dependence. He has no more need of you and me then the energy of the sun is needs or is enhanced by the pilot light on our stove. And the incredible life-changing news and teaching of the New Testament is that God's kind of love uh, aggressively, actively takes the initiative to seek the well-being uh, of the person on whom he sets it. And also, it's very resilient. Uh, once it's fixed, it's not dissuaded by our ignorance or foolishness or misunderstanding or disrespect or even abuse. It just keeps on coming because it emerges from within God's innate greatness. And it isn't stimulated by the appeal uh, of the object. And the, I think we can say, uh, we know from the writers of Scripture and from those among us who have experienced this love that when we glimpse it, when we understand that the source of all life who knows everything who has all power, who's utterly self-sufficient, and yet who has a deep and enduring concern for your and my well-being, a genuine interest in us, a purpose for us. And when we begin to understand the extraordinary links that he has taken in the person of Jesus Christ to unite us and reconcile us to himself. As we glimpse and experience that, it will change us. It is absolutely inevitable. We cannot be linked to that 
kind of person and not be changed in varying degrees by it. It will change our direction. It will change our priorities. It will eventually compel us to engage ourselves with his people and his purposes on the earth. And then as we experience it more fully and deeply, he gives us the unspeakable privilege of becoming some small reflection of it ourselves. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the amazing instruction, the revelation that we get in the Scripture and in the New Testament that you, uh, the origin, the creator, the sustainer of life that is great and beautiful and magnificent beyond our comprehension, is also loving. And that you have displayed that love unmistakably, clearly, decisively. And we pray this morning if there is anyone here who has not yet understood and received it, we pray that you would would uh, lead them to yourself uh, this morning or in days to come. And I pray as a community that we could enter more fully and deeply into the knowledge and experience of this great part of you so that we can both be changed and be expressions of it so that you may be known and honored in our community and in the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.